everyone, it's Amanda again. We are back. Um, for those of you who have not yet listened to this podcast or this series, I guess you could call it, um, I am here today to talk about the highs and lows of PTSD, um, post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, I was diagnosed at the age of 17 um, from events that occurred when I was 15. And basically, I want to share um, some insight on how maybe friends and family can deal with someone who has PTSD and just how to be there for them. Last time we talked about intentional listening, how when someone discloses to you that they have gone through something significant, whether it's a sexual assault or an attempted sexual assault or really anything, this can apply to anything, um, it's so important to just listen, intentionally absorbing what people are, like what someone is telling you. You know, you don't have to rush into a solution or have the right words and knowing what to say. A lot of times when people disclose, they're not looking for that from you. They're just looking for support. So saying, yes, I am here for you 100%, I am in, or even just saying, I'm so sorry this happened to you. Um, and just really validating them in their experience because that's so important after going through an event that shattered them or, you know, just totally broke them down. So that's what we talked about last week. Feel free to go check that out. Um, but today I want to talk a little bit more about um, some insight to how family and friends can communicate with someone who has PTSD. So... Um, for example, when I was 17, I disclosed to my mom that, um, I may have, uh, been sexually assaulted. Um, and I don't know, I don't, to this day, I don't remember everything. So I always say may have, or someone attempted to assault me. Um, but I don't know for sure. So I can't say that. And also before we continue, um, I'm not a medical professional. Everyone disclaims that at the beginning. So I am not a medical professional. Um, I'm just sharing my experience, um, to help other people maybe understand their own symptoms or how to understand what someone else is going through. So just had to throw that out there, you know? So anyways, so as I was saying, just, I want to help people who, may have a loved one who is experiencing post-traumatic stress um, and describe it in as a positive way as I can. I'm not saying this very well, but eh, whatever. <laughs> so anyways, so I disclosed to my mom when I was 17. I was a senior in high school and I wrote her a, I was writing in my journal and I showed it to her and I told her that way. And we sat together for a while and she was like, okay, well, I think you need to see someone. And, um, I said this a little bit in the last episode. I wasn't crazy about going to therapy. I didn't think I was ready to talk about it because, you know, with a therapist, you have to talk things to death, right? Um, that works for some people. It doesn't work for everyone. But I was suffering um, internally. I was in so much pain that I probably wasn't headed in a good direction. So I said, you know what? Let's do this. I will go to therapy. So... January of my senior year, um, I went to my first therapy session. She diagnosed me with PTSD and then I started coming back and started seeing her and working um, on my issues with her. So 
that was all great. Um, if anyone is struggling with um, maybe whether or not to pursue therapy, I recommend pursue it. Interview counselors just because you find one does not mean that they may be the right fit for you. And any good counselor will tell you that that's okay. Um, so don't be afraid to just go around and interview counselors. Um, I highly recommend it. But anyways, so yeah, so while I was in therapy, um, my mom always drove me. Um, she was always worried that, um, for good reason, that maybe after an hour with um, a therapist talking about the worst experience of my life, that I would be um, emotionally compromised um, to drive, um, which was good because it wouldn't have necessarily prohibited me from being able to drive, but I would not have had my mind on the road. I'd be thinking about everything that we had just talked about and reflecting on how it made me feel. Um, and there were some days where I definitely felt physically off or just like blah, or all I could think about was a specific part of the conversation or anything else that might distract me from the road. So that was a really great help. Even having that as a choice was really great. Um, I actually even had a friend drive me once because my parents were out of town and it was just me and my sister and I had a friend offer to take me, which was awesome. Um, so don't be afraid to reach out and say, hey, like, can you drop me off here? Come get me in an hour or anything like that. That was super helpful for me because driving for me is just added stress. I hate driving for some people. It clears your head and more power to you. I wish that was me. Like, honestly, I really wish it was, but it stresses me out. So having that was really great because it, she, my mom knew that it would take away my stress of driving so I could just focus on me and my therapy and work on really absorbing that support because why else would I go, right? So that was really cool. So as that year went on, all of my friends, all of my main friends were at college. They were all a year older than me and they all left me and went to their colleges, you know, pursuing their education, living their best lives, all that. Um, and so we would Skype a lot late at night. Um, either we'd be doing homework together while talking on Skype or FaceTime and, um, or we would just sit and talk, you know, just fully focused on each other. And so many times I would call my friends just bawling my eyes out without intentionally wanting to. I might have called them about something else and then we just get on the subject and I just start bawling. And I'm like, man, like I just had such a hard day. Like this guy was looking at me for too long and it just threw me all out of whack. I just don't know. And they would ask, well, did he do anything like weird to set you off? And I was like, no, he just was staring at me, but like, you know, with his eyes and, and he was just looking at me and oh my gosh. And to the average person who has not experienced, um, an assault or attempted assault, this sounds totally harmless, empathetic, you know, um, which I totally get, like I'm laughing at myself now. Um, but know that I'm not laughing at anyone who has felt this way because a lot can actually be said by a stare. Everyone knows that. Every human being knows that you can say a lot with your eyes. Um, girls always have a sense of when they're being checked out by guys. Sorry, it is just a thing. Um, and so, yeah, I would just call them bawling my eyes out, just like, oh, he was looking at me. I don't want him to look at me. I wear sweatpants so that I don't look attractive. I don't wear makeup. My hair is always a mess, blah, blah, blah. And I would just cry and they would just listen to me cry. And I kind of feel bad <laughs> for putting them through that so often, but every time I tell them, you know, I'm so sorry that I keep having to talk about this or I feel so guilty for having to 
talk about this so much. Like, I just want to get over it. And my friends have always been really good about validating my experience and saying, no, Amanda, that is totally fine. That's why like, we're here for you. We want you to call us crying and we want you to get it out so that you don't sit at home by yourself, locked up in your room, doing it alone where your feelings could escalate and no one's there to talk you down or no one's there to say how much they love you and understand the value of you. And those words are so powerful to me because I slowly started to like rediscover my self-worth and that I wasn't everything that this guy demeaned me to be. He would grab my arm really hard in the hallway and just make me do whatever he wanted me to do, whether it was take a photo with him so that all of his friends would think he was cool or he would just want me to go hang out with him after school or go on a date and I would always say, no, like I have things to do. Just I tried to brush him off as simple as possible and he took that control away from me, um, forcing me to do a lot of these things. And so... It just, it, that was a very overwhelming loss of control. And so after the attack and after I started remembering some things, I was like, okay, the fact that I always want control over things makes so much sense. I always like to have control over where I go. Something simple, right? Oh, I want to go to the grocery store, so I'm going to go to the grocery store. Or, oh, I'm hanging out with these people, but I want to walk away and having the ability to walk away. Um, the guy I was dating my senior year was amazing at I guess, dealing with me sounds really harsh, but basically putting up with a lot of my issues and I didn't like handholding. It freaked me out because that took away my ability to easily walk away or step aside or, you know, it gave him no chance to somehow keep me there against my will. Um, and so my boyfriend was really great about it. He, um, he would just say, okay, well, I know you don't like hand-holding, so can we try this? And he took my hand and he just kind of like formed my hand into a fist and he just held on lightly onto my wrist when we would walk to class or things like that. And that was so amazing to me. Like, I want to give him a quick shout out. Like, thank you so much for understanding and not making me feel crazy he just totally accepted me and everything like all of my trauma all of my baggage he just totally took that on and said you know what I got you I am gonna show you my affection in the way that I think you'll be okay with and he worked on communicating that with me and saying hey I want to hold your hand but can I do it this way that makes you comfortable and I felt safe because, first of all, he asked my permission. Asking permission make, made me feel like I was in control. I had the power to say yes or no. And so I said yes, and he would hold my hand like that. And I felt totally comfortable with that because that communication was established. I knew that if I wanted to leave, I could. And I didn't feel like he could hold on to me very well if I wanted to run away or if I demanded to be let go of. He wouldn't have a very good grip on me. So that was just so amazing. Um, and so that gave me a little piece of understanding that I am worth 
every bit of being able to say no. Consent is huge. Everyone in college had to take the course on what consent is and everything like that. And I might do a whole episode on that later, but I just want to plant that seed in everyone's head is that people with PTSD from like a situation like mine where control was taken away, that is a huge part of, or that has been a huge part of my recovery because I am able to like control myself, where I go, what I do, what I say, who I can talk to, how much I tell people. That is so big. And so when my friends say, hey, like, do you want to talk about this? I'll say, yeah, I would love to talk about it with you. Or, you know what, I've been feeling kind of down lately and that might push me over the edge. So no, like, can we please talk about something else? And they say, yeah, sure. And they don't make it a big deal. And that's such a crucial part to this is that we're going, people with PTSD, we're going through so much when we get triggered. It's like walking into a war zone, you're reliving your worst nightmare. Um, My thing is usually, the first thing I feel is my back pressed up against this wall and I feel cold and then my body spreads into this like numb feeling. I can't move, but my brain is always moving a thousand miles an hour and I can see his eyes. I can smell the chapstick he was wearing. Um, I could feel his body coming closer to mine and that it was dark. He had turned out the lights and I could not see him. And that scares the shit out of me. I'm going to be totally blunt. It freaks me out just thinking about it. And I have to relive that. And I feel my heart beating until it's vibrating my whole body. And it's traumatizing. He prevented me from being able to leave that room. He prevented me from calling out for help. He prevented me from doing everything that I had control over, which in the end made me today kind of a control freak. And a lot of people don't get that and that's okay. I am at the point where I don't want everyone to understand. I don't want anyone actually to understand because that means that they would have had to go through the experience that I did. And that is awful. Like I said earlier, I would not wish that on anybody because it is so violating. It is so awful and it impacts you for such a long time. I will not say forever because I believe that healing can be found. You cannot forget but healing can be found and I am still working on finding it, but I have so much hope that I will find enough healing to move on, have a successful relationship and just live my best life. And I know that I'm not defined by that experience. And as a friend or as a family member, tell that person, please tell that person that they are not defined by this experience or series of experiences that It was never, ever their fault, no matter what. People always have the right to say no. If you're in the middle of sex and you say, hey, I'm done now, like I'm getting uncomfortable, that is 100% okay. And if that person does not respect the fact that you're done or you're getting uncomfortable and they force you to keep going, that becomes rape, period. And no, I am not a police officer, but I know what consent is. We all should know what consent is. And having a respectful, loving relationship is so much better than, you know, any minute long session of sex or however long you want to have sex. That is totally 
just it, there's no equivalent there's no comparison so just think about that so coming back to your loved one with PTSD remember it's not their fault they did not ask to be raped they did not ask to be put in a situation that would leave them so traumatized that it prevents them from functioning in their day-to-day life they did not like I did not ask to be so scared to go out in public or go out in the dark or need someone to protect me at all times I definitely am going through this phase ever since the attack where I feel like I need someone there to protect me like a bigger brother I don't have a bigger brother but someone like that you know that says oh I'll beat you up if you hurt my sister kind of thing or you know, you need to ask me for permission to date my daughter, you know, like, I'm a big fan of those things because I feel protected. Or if someone is like walking behind me in a dark alley, I'm going to turn around and say, or not maybe say, but at least acknowledge them. So they know that I know that they're there. These are all things that I think about, like when I'm in the dark, I'm always on very high alert, because I expect what happened to me in that dark room to happen to me again. And that's not a way to live. I'm going to tell you that right now. It's very exhausting. But that is what we're going through. That is what I'm going through. And my friends have been amazing at just saying, it's okay to feel that way. Your experiences have taught you that this is what you need to feel to feel safe. This is survival. And that's all they do. They don't make me feel bad about the fact that maybe I don't want to drink alcohol because it might... Um, prevent me from having complete control over my body or my decisions, you know, um, they're very respectful of my boundaries. And so I just, my friends are amazing and it's definitely been a learning experience. Um, no one's perfect. I'm not perfect at communicating my boundaries in any capacity. Um, my friends usually have to dig for it. So sorry about that, but learning is all we can do. And loving and supporting your loved one with PTSD or just overall stress and anxiety is so important. That's the only way that that person is going to heal. Having a support system that always validates what they're feeling because what they're feeling is not wrong. What they're feeling is normal for them. They went through these experiences and that those experiences taught them that this is what happens when this happens, you know, B happens when A happens. It's just, that's it. I don't know how else to explain it. So my advice to those friends and family who have a family member or a friend, a loved one with PTSD, the best question you can ask is, what do you need from me? How can I best help you to be okay and they probably won't know most of the time eight times out of ten I would say I never know how to answer that question but the reason I say to ask that question is because you just gave them some control over what you can do to help them instead of you taking the initiative to do something and hope that it makes them okay, you are asking them, how can I help you? What would you like me to do, if anything at all, that will make you feel good? And then they will start to feel comfortable, hopefully, 
and they will learn to confide in you. They will feel safe with you. And that's the beautiful thing about going through post-traumatic stress. There's a lot of negatives, but I like to put a positive spin on things. That's the beauty of the journey. Seeing the growth of where you've been from that terrible war zone, from that god-awful moment when everything was taken away from you, you get a little bit of that back with, I feel like, so much more. My friendships are so solid because I chose to trust my friends with my experience and the way that they have told me that I'm okay, that I'm a beautiful person worthy of respect and dignity, that has done so much for me. And honestly, I could not have done that on my own. I don't think I could have gotten to a place, at least as young as I am, I could not have found that self-love and that understanding my self-worth without having that external, you know, friend saying, yes, yes. So I'm going to stop there for today. Um, I hope that this was helpful. Um, and I really look forward to keeping these things going after a little bit after the first podcast, I was like, Oh my gosh, what have I done? I just went public and like, this is not going to help anybody. But then I was like, okay, Amanda, stop. You like have barely started just breathe. So once again, I hope that this was helpful in some capacity. I'm going to continue to breathe and have a great week, a great day. And yeah, just continue to flourish with your highs and lows of PTSD because when there's a valley, there's a mountain and we're going to ride those mountains and we're going to survive those valleys. We've got this. Have a great day. I'll talk to you guys later.